Stories change us, inspire us, encourage us, and keep us going. Green Chair Conversations is the place where story and change meet through authentic conversation as we learn and grow from a diversity of voices. Welcome to Green Chair Conversations. Hey everyone, today we have the privilege of sitting down with Dr. Tim Holler and Shad Berry, the founders of Cardia Collective, which is a community of skilled therapists, coaches, and consultants. Today we are gonna discuss navigating the nuances of anxiety, worry, and loss, and how we can, really practically speaking, celebrate what's worth celebrating and grieve what's worth grieving. Shad, Tim, thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, it's our pleasure. In the green chair. Yeah. The green chairs. Chairs, yeah. the green chairs. <laughs> thank you so much for having yeah, us. Yeah, thank yeah, you. It's an honor. I would, I love y'all's story. I love hearing how, I remember Shad and I were having a conversation and you kind of told me a little bit about how you guys met, uh, a little bit about how Cardia Collective came to be. Mm. I would love to just kind of dive in on, on your story and how, how that all happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I tell people uh, I didn't walk into counseling voluntarily. I got pushed, um, and I'm, I'm grateful that I did. But, um, yeah, the circumstances around meeting Tim, uh, so I've been married for 21 years now to my beautiful wife, Veronica. Uh, we have four kids, um, Ainsley, Abby, Jack, and Claire, actually taking my second oldest to college tomorrow. Mm. Uh, don't need to bring that up right now. Mm. Speaking yeah, of yeah. loss and grief, uh, really excited for her. But yeah, we had, um, so we have four kids biologically. We had a miscarriage with our first and then a miscarriage with our sixth pregnancy. Mm. And um, we kind of were at that point where we thought we, we knew we had more room in our hearts uh, for, you know, and, and home for another child. And we had seen some mentors of ours, uh, Mark and Tana Ottinger, adopt, mm. you know, and, and were blown away, blown away by that process mm. and seeing them go through that. And I'd been to Africa a few times and I was like, man, I think we're compelled to, you know, feel like we're called to adopt from Africa because Veronica's body was not in a position to have any more kids biologically. And we thought this is just mm -hmm. God redirecting our paths. Yeah. So we started this process. At the same time, I was transitioning from a family, our family business, uh, leaving family business to go work at Downline Ministries. This was in about 2011, 2012. And um, so that was a huge decision for our family, uh, super stressful um, and difficult. And so after I, shortly after I made that transition, we'd had the miscarriage and we had started this adoption process. Um, we finally got a phone call. Uh, we, we had, long story short, we had transitioned from international adoption to domestic adoption. And for those who are familiar with that process, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. You create a life book and the adoption agency shows that life book to expectant mothers who have an adoption plan for their child. And then they call you and say, do you want us to show the book to this mom because of this circumstance? And so I kind of finally, after several of those calls where I was like, show the book. Yeah, show the book. Show the book. I was like, all right, don't call me until you've, <laughs> if somebody's picked us. Just show the book to whoever mm -hmm. and then call us. So several months had passed and finally I got a phone call and, and we, we knew we'd been picked. And so we met the birth mom, and um, it was a beautiful opportunity. She was doing a month. Mm. And um, so um, we went to the hospital. She wanted us to be there when um, she was in labor. And so it was a really beautiful experience. And 
Um, I remember one of my big prayers um, leading into that adoption, having had four biological children, I was scared that I would feel differently about this, my son uh, being adopted than my biological kids. I remember just praying and asking God that I wanted to feel the same way, love them the same way that I felt about my other kids. And I remember holding him for the first time, just that, you know, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh kind of moment, like this is my boy. And so, um, you know, about nine days later, 10 days later, uh, about nine days later, we brought him home from the hospital. Uh, not nine days later, sorry. It was a few days later. Brought him home from the hospital. Nine days after we brought him home, mm. um, we had found out, we got another call from the adoption agency that the birth mom had changed her mind. In the state of Tennessee, the birth mom can revoke her surrender. And so we ended up handing him back to her on the 11th day. And, um, and one of the revelations from all the lessons learned in that moment was that you can't love at an arm's length distance. Like you can't love and protect yourself from hurt. Mm. Um, and so the pain we experienced, which uh, in handing him back to her, also the empathy we had of understanding what it was like for her to carry a child for nine months and then make the decision to hand him over to adoption and the courage that that takes. Um, that process, uh, would, I, would I describe that as kind of the, you know, if, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. It was really God tearing the calluses off of my heart. Mm. And up to that point, I would describe myself as, as being very moralistic, very proud of my morality and my self-will and self-effort and what I did do and what I didn't do and judging other people for what they <laughs> did or didn't do. And, and I just think uh, God used that as an opportunity to tenderize my heart and make me more aware of, aware of my humanity. Um, and that was really about a that, that journey was really about a 24-month journey, um, wow. and we laughed because we went to church together. Okay. And a year prior to all that, I had tapped, he was in front of me, I had tapped him on the shoulder at church and said, I'm going to call you soon. And I never did. It was like my attempt, like, I know I need counseling and I need to go get it, but I'm like, <laughs> I really don't want to. So, but I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it out loud and maybe I'll do it. So the second time I called him, when I actually called him, was after all this had happened, and I was like on Briarcrest and, um, uh, you know, rode there behind... Uh, um, where Briarcrest was and uh, Shady Grove mm. and I called him and I was like hey man I need help like whatever's happening here my heart my mm. chest everything's tight like I was having I don't know if it's panic mm. attacks or what but like mm. I need to come see you mm. and, um, and I was like I feel sorry for whoever takes this case on because I'm such a mess and I couldn't imagine anybody else being as messed up as I felt in that moment and um, and he said, I've got an opening next Thursday. I was like, next Thursday? I was like, I need help now. Yeah. Like, you got to fix this. <laughs> like, next Thursday. So anyway, I, I complied and showed up next Thursday. And, uh, and really, that's where I was um, introduced to, for the first time, the expertise and gifting and care of mm. what counselors mm. actually did. Hmm. Um, and he kept inquiring about things. I was like, that's not related to this. That has nothing to do with this and uh, doing his job. And it took me a while to trust him. But um, realizing that, man, the, the healing that was available to me through the care wow. of somebody that knew what they were doing and was trained and gifted in it, as, as Tim was, changed my life. Wow. Um, um, you know, life circumstances brought me to a place to where I could join the human race and admit that I needed help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a long intro. Uh, the, the net of that became, as I was, after our relationship had kind of ended clinically, yeah. I was, the more I, the, the common fear for all of us as human beings is that if I tell you the truth about me, yes. you're going to not sit here and listen. You're going to be like, oh my God, you know, and that's yeah. really more about my heart than yours because uh, that's more like what I would do. But the fear is if I tell the truth about me, then you're going to move away from me. Hmm. In reality, the more I told the truth about my story and some of our loss and the grief and the fear and the anxiety and the loneliness 
sickness that I was experiencing, people leaned in and were like, me too. And wow. I was like, you need to go see Tim. You should go see Tim. You should go see Tim. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know if I was his number one referral source or not, but I was like, I feel like everybody was sending to Tim. And, uh, and I had a multiplication mindset, like a discipleship-oriented mindset. Yeah. And I was like, where are all the other Tim Hollers? And I know there's some great counselors in our city, yes. people doing great yeah. work. Um, and, uh, but at the time, I didn't know who they were or where they were. So I was like, Tim, uh, like, how do we multiply you? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's really cool how God orchestrated all of this because, uh, and I want to tell you your part of the story, yeah. but Tim was teaching uh, for 25 years at mm-hmm. Crichton College and Victory mm-hmm. College. Victory College kind of began to decline, mm-hmm. and we were like having a Panera conversation. It was like, why don't we do this full time? And we, we Panera this, you know, the napkin <laughs> idea, yeah. you can make Panera mm-hmm. verb. And we're like, what if we created a place that helped not only um, offer effective therapy, which is healing and support, but also trained effective therapists like mm-hmm. to help them do more work, but helped everyone become more therapeutic, basically a, a portable sanctuary, a safe place where anybody can get a cool drink of water. And hmm. so that was kind of the vision that we like drew out, and, uh, and that's really where it, where it began. Yeah. You've been teaching for what you said, 20 plus 20 years. years? 20 years, yeah. Yeah, and so that's a big transition. Like that's a huge shift to say, okay, I'm leaving this kind of realm that I've known, yeah. and then I'm gonna jump into uh, starting our own thing. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a napkin in Panera. Mm-hmm. Right, it was, it was huge. Um, I thought I was gonna retire teaching at Crichton College, Victory. Yeah. That was just my dream. That was just yeah. what I thought God had for us. And so when that started to fall apart, it just really became an issue of, of uh, fear, mm. which led to the only option we really had, I had, was faith, had mm-hmm. to trust. Mm-hmm. And a dream being fulfilled too, because it was like, well, maybe this could work. Mm-hmm. And the piece I was missing all along was somebody um, filling that role that Shad filled. And so tell me a little bit about, you have a completely different wing than what, what Tim does. And so tell me a little bit about what you're doing, and then I'd love to see hear what you're doing sure. and kind of what you're seeing a lot of right now. I yeah. mean, I think... You want to go first? Um, sure, sure. <clears throat> so um, Shad focuses much more on uh, coaching, uh, and I'll let him explain that. Yeah, yeah. And also the business side of what we do, but I will focus more on the clinical side. And so when I say that, um, I'm dealing with people with anxiety, uh, depression, loss, grief, marital problems, mm. uh, interpersonal conflicts, and, um, and then supervising or overseeing that, that part of what we do. Um, and I wanted to <clears throat> specifically point out that during this COVID mm. time, um, and you and I were talking about this yes, earlier. Yes, I was going to ask you about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't seen so much, um, what, which was kind of surprising, I think, to people, is that people are not coming in talking about how bad COVID is or how difficult the pandemic is, uh, so much as they're coming in with anxiety and fear and loss and conflict with their family or addictions of all sorts, um, whether it's alcohol, drugs, or pornography, or you know, not so much gambling to get a little bit of that. Um, um, but and the thing, and, or conflict with their family or the, with their wives or husbands, yes. it's just exacerbated. And they don't realize that it's related to the pandemic. I mean, they don't realize oftentimes, they're not conscious of the fact that it's just, um, they are under a stress, under a difficulty they've never faced before. Yep. And they can't give themselves or each other the amount of grace that this warrants. No mercy. It's like, my husband is this, my wife is that, and they can't stop doing this. They're just, 
they don't stop to go, oh my gosh, she must be under a lot of pressure. I am under a lot of pressure. We can't even go out of the house without putting on a mask. Why well, I have to worry every day whether or not my kid's gonna get sick when she goes to school. I have to worry every day whether or not I'm gonna give this disease, catch it unknowingly, and give it to my parents. You were talking about that yes, earlier. Yes, yeah, right? yeah. Uh, my mom right now has cancer. Yeah. Um, is she gonna get COVID and then that's gonna exacerbate? Right. Um, and so these fears that are just an undercurrent they don't realize, they don't make the connections, hmm. right, between that and the fact that they're arguing with their spouse all the time, hmm. or they're having problems at work all the time. Hmm. Or, so I have to kind of help them make those connections and then possibly connect, create more empathy hmm. for themselves and for each other. Empathy is the, is the, is the um, tie that creates relationship, that keeps relationship going. Hmm. And this other word, beautiful word, compassion, right? <laughs> Passion means to be in pain, right? It means to suffer. And calm is the, the um, prefix means to be with, mm. to suffer with somebody. Without compassion, we can't be in relationship. Mm -hmm. And that means compassion sometimes with ourselves, right? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. What about you? Uh, which part? <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> so many things I'm thinking of and feeling here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit about, you're doing a lot of the coaching and you said emotional, intelligent. What, tell yeah, me a little yeah. bit about that. So um, coaching is distinct from counseling in that uh, in, there's no like clear cut necessarily, uh -huh. but coaching is more directive, maybe more uh, topical. Uh, so we have coaches that do spiritual development. We have coaches that do food and nutrition. We have coaches that do addiction recovery. So Coaching is a little distinct. We, we kind of say counseling is often recovering from the things that have happened to us, mm. you know, that, that impact the way we relate to ourselves and to the world, really the way we are able to receive and express love. And then coaching is kind of as I heal from the things that have happened to me and the ways I've responded to them and taking responsibility for those things, then what life do I envision for myself? Uh, because a lot of the lives that we envision for ourselves are informed by what we're trying to not be or what we're running from or mm. what we haven't confronted. And so we, and that's part of where this stress, internal stress can come from is because we're trying to, um, trying to, trying to negotiate this tension in us that's like, this isn't really what I want, but I don't know another way. So coaching comes alongside of people in their recovery journey, healing journey, um, uh, what we call sanctification and discipleship in that journey and kind of helps provide some guard, uh, guidelines and accountability and support and structure. What do you say to people that are navigating that? I mean, I know each one is like its own whole thing, but in general, I mean, like what, what advice are you giving people that are navigating anxiety, worry, loss? Um, particularly with you, Shad, I'd love you to lean into the loss piece. Like that's another thing mm -hmm. that always, it kind of has a way of always kind of coming up a mm -hmm. little bit. And so mm -hmm. I, I'd love for, I'd love for you guys to kind of lean into what you're encouraging people, what you would tell people that are listening, that are navigating that themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. From the clinical side, um, I heard a wise person once say. Was it me? That. <laughs> the wise person? Sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I said a wise person. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not a wise guy. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, you can't talk yourself, and so this depends on the nature of where the anxiety is coming from, mm. like in the person's world, in their life. Shad mentioned you know, childhood experiences, family of origin issues, where, what's the root of the anxiety. You can't talk yourself out of something you didn't talk yourself into. Mm. 
So if you've got a, a family of origin issue, something that's back there that has been unresolved, and you didn't talk yourself into that anxiety, you can't talk yourself out of it. So then there's going to be some sort of mechanism or experience that you're going to have to go through that another person won't have to. If you've got an anxiety that comes from some sort of false belief, some false notion that you have talked yourself into, then maybe you can talk yourself out of it. Hmm. Make sense? Mm -hmm. But if you have an anxiety that's rooted in a past trauma, okay, that happened to you sometime in childhood or in early, yep. early adulthood, that um, that you didn't, that just happened, like you yeah. said, that happened to you. Yeah, you're not going to be able to talk yourself out of that. Yeah, but you might be able to talk your body into responding differently or go through some meditation process, some uh, um, mindfulness technique, some deep breathing, something that actually physically changes the response of your body, that fight-flight mechanism. Mm. And that will change your response to, to your physical response, which alter, begins to alter your anxiety. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. yeah, that's really good. And then your physiological response will change and your emotional response will change but not just directly by having a conversation with yourself. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And that, that can really, you can learn those things through yeah. the internet. You can, yeah. you can Google <laughs> mindfulness. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, probably the only person's gonna have some professional help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, one of the things we combat, or, and that may be the wrong word, sounds combative, one of the things we try to confront lovingly is this general notion, so you're asking about loss specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah this general idea that exists that really harms people that emotions are bad. Right. So the general idea that, uh, again, especially if we're talking about the context of the church, of like, well, I know they're in a better place in the event of losing somebody, or like not giving ourselves permission hmm. to grieve yeah. things that are worth grieving. Like right. you say, uh, sadness is an honoring feeling. Um, I, I've, I said this earlier, I'm taking my second oldest daughter to college. That is filled with this intertwining co convergence of the joy being this joy with sadness. Like I can look at her and say, you're not supposed to be here anymore. Like you got to go and I don't want you to go. Yeah. Right. Like and everything that I can't talk about this much or else I will cry. Yeah. <laughs> like I feel the chills. Like my body is responding to the reality of what's going to happen tomorrow, anticipating yeah. it. And even in the loss in our failed adoption. Um, initially, before I started learning otherwise, when my kids would come at that stage shortly after we had lost uh, Henry, um, and they'd say how sad they were or they cried, my initial response was to talk them out of it hmm. until I learned that, no, the prayer I had about us loving him, their sadness is indicative of how well they loved him. Uh, right. My son, Jack, for a long time would say, if I said, hey, what was the happiest day of your life? He said, the day we got Henry. I was like, oh, that's sweet. What was the worst day of your life? The day we lost Henry. And I could look at him and go, you can be as sad about that as long as you want to. Uh -huh. like, you can be as sad. Like, right. That tells me that you love that guy well. And I, don't, I, can't, I can't make this okay. Yeah. Like We're going to be okay, and there's nothing I can say that's going to make that okay. But I trust in the power of love that somehow that time imprinted some way, shape or form and, and left something that we won't know the, you know, this side yeah. of it. So like the permission for people, I, I talked to so many people uh, and, and like you were saying earlier about how hard we are on ourselves for being human. We beat ourselves up. So, so even if we admit our fear, we're ashamed of how afraid we are. 
Um, when people cry, what do they say typically? I'm, I'm so sorry. sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. don't want right. to. I've talked to people that said, uh, you know, that have had major tragedies in their life, um, family members that have taken their own lives, and they said, I've only told three people. Yeah. So I go, how come? I just don't want to burden them. Mm. Yeah. So where does that go? What do right. you do with that? So, mm. and that, that, so we operate on a grid of these eight core primary colors of the heart of fear and shame and sad and lonely and guilt and glad and hurt. Like these are primary colors that are gifts if we take responsibility for them. Mm. You know, so human emotions have a seat at the table. They're not the head of the table, but they're like Jesus experienced every one of those emotions. The guilt wasn't his own. It was ours that he took on himself, but sadness, he wept, yep. anger in the, in the temple, yep. purifying it, um, you know, the, the, the um, loneliness in the garden, mm-hmm. the fear of like, is there any other way? Like, mm-hmm. but, but faith saying, not my will, your will. So like, it makes the intimacy that that creates when you have the freedom to be human together. Yeah. I feel like I just talked for a long time, but yeah, like that's like <laughs> no, that's I mean, powerful. It's, pr- it's so powerful, yeah. yeah and so grieving is a gift. Like you can't heal, like you can't heal a hurt unless you admit that it's hurt. Mm. And so we see people do that with physical ailments, you know, yeah, uh, that say, no, no, it's fine, it's fine, no, it's fine, it's fine, I'm fine, and like yeah. until 20 years later, and it's you know really not fine, and yeah. you should have gotten it checked out 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's really good because I do think. I mean, and it kind of even comes back to this layer of even, you know, your struggle with even going to counseling to begin right. with, right? I didn't it's like, we don't want to, and you were saying, I don't want to tell people I'm going to counseling. I don't mm-hmm. want to tell people, I don't, right. nobody wants to share their, like, just baggage. I mean, we all have right. it. We all have different layers that we have gone through that we don't prefer mm-hmm. to share with anybody. Right. And then I think loss is another thing too. I mean, it's just so raw on yeah. our on our emotions. You know, you had this phrase that really, um, I feel like kind of has directed in undercurrents of our conversation today, yeah. uh, celebrate what's worth celebrating and grieve what's worth grieving. Yeah. But how do we, practically speaking, kind of lean into celebrate what's worth celebrating? How do we lean into the good? But then also, how do we lean into the grieving? I think that's a hard piece. I think obviously giving permission is a first step. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, how do we practically learn and navigate how, how to lean into these different seasons? Yeah, that's a great question. And as Shad was talking, I, I wanted to point out, you know, um, just give you an illustration. It's like if you ask you a question, mm-hmm. if you get um, like a new uh, car, mm-hmm. if you buy a new car, what's the first thing you want to do? Drive it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, second thing you want to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I show people, I yeah, guess? Yeah, you want to share, share yeah. it with people, right? Yeah. You may, maybe even put it on the social media. Yeah, right? yeah. But you want to tell somebody about it, mm. right? Why? Because I'm excited. Yeah. You know, we got a new car. And you want someone else to be... Excited too. Excited with you, right? Mm. So in other words, you want to celebrate that, mm. but you want someone else to celebrate the new car with you, okay. right? Or you have a baby, or you, something good happens, you want someone to celebrate, because we can't celebrate alone. Hmm. When we celebrate alone, it's empty, or it's not as full as it could be. So we need to celebrate together. We need to celebrate communally. So that's a big step. So if we want to say something's worth celebrating, we celebrate it with people. That's good. Now, one of the things we're afraid of, by the way, just throw this in, we're afraid to celebrate our own successes mm-hmm. because we feel like, especially in the church, like we're bragging. 
Like, um, and we even quote that verse. I can't tell you how many times we've quoted it to our kids. <laughs> Let another praise you, not your own lips, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Just to keep our kids from being arrogant. It didn't work. Um, no, 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 when they see this, um, they'll forgive me. I know it's kids, that's that not out. true. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, but that's not the only verse in the Bible, yeah. Yeah. right? I love to point out the Apostle Paul in the New Testament where he finishes his, his life and he says, I've kept the faith, mm -hmm. I've finished my course, and henceforth there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in the latter day. He's, he's like, he's going, yes. You know, he's celebrating his finished life, and he knows he's going to get a reward for it. There's no arrogance in it. Hmm. It's just celebration. And he's doing it with people in a letter that we're still reading today. Yeah. How yeah. beautiful is that? Yeah. So celebration has to be done out loud with people. Hmm. But the converse is also true. Hmm. So when you go to John, is it John or Luke 11 with Luke, uh, Lazarus? John 11? Mm -hmm. I think it's John chapter 11 where Lazarus dies. Yes. And, or has been dead for three days, and all these people have gathered together, and Jesus shows up, mm -hmm. right? And he's going to raise them from the dead. But there are mourners all over the place. Hmm. Just an indication, you can't grieve alone either. And we have to grieve with people. We have to share our losses out loud with other people. Someone has died. Something has been lost. Um, I tell people also about a, years ago, a friend of mine gave me this one-of-a-kind ceramic mug with this ugliest face you've ever seen. It's in my office, maybe someday you'll come to see it. Uh, when I, I was probably like 19 years old, <clears throat> a friend of mine gave it to me, and um, I drank a coffee out of it for years until I was t teaching at Crichton. Um, and I just hit my elbow on the door jam when I was leaving my office, dropped it and broke it. And I cried, because I loved this mug. Mm -hmm. And it just shattered, and I, I glued it back together with the best I could, I think with like Elmer's glue or something, but it, it won't hold coffee. But <laughs> <laughs> And so it's still on my shelf in my office, had it for over 40 years. Uh, that mug meant something to me. Yeah. And I'm still telling people over 40 years later about mm -hmm. the loss, I mean, of that, about that mug, mm -hmm. uh, 20 years later since I broke it, that it grieves me. Mm -hmm. See, I'm t still telling that story. And we need to grieve with somebody. We have to tell it, tell the story out loud um, and feel the feelings about mm -hmm. it. If we, if, if it, whatever we feel about the loss, express those feelings out loud with somebody. Mm. And then the goal of grieving is acceptance. Hmm. Being acceptance. okay with what's not okay. Yeah. And that's what acceptance is. Yeah. Yeah. Becoming okay with what's not okay. It doesn't mean, this is a, this is a myth that we think, if I accept it, then that means it's okay. No, it doesn't mean it's okay. It means it's not okay. Yeah. But I'm okay. Hmm. See? Yeah. The person shouldn't have died. Mm -hmm. The mug shouldn't have broken. Yeah. The loss shouldn't have happened. But I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that's the world we live in, and that's this fallen, broken world we live in. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I think the I think the notion too that my sadness somehow will diminish my gladness is another mm. like like negative feelings take away from good feelings and I'm yes. supposed to be happy all the time. Yes. And when in reality it it adds character and shape and depth, depth to my joy. Right. Yeah. Like I, right. I always think about my my grief or my fear or loss is kind of 
kind of ho- carving out this chalice that's able to hold more joy mm-hmm. if I'm able to have more depth. And the other misnomer is people say, well, I don't want to go around. We all know somebody that overshares <laughs> everything <laughs> all the time. Right? Yeah. And so our minds a lot of times go to the, like, well, I don't want to be like that. It's like, yeah. And that's not what we're saying. Yeah. Right? We're saying, do you have one person, two people, right. yeah. three people yeah. that, that do know everything? You know, the, the good, the bad, the ugly mm-hmm. that I can be with and they can be with me without shaming or judging or leaving mm-hmm. me, without mm-hmm. fear of abandonment, that they mm-hmm. can they can show up and stay. Um, we're not talking about sharing with everybody, but you've got to have that core. Every human being needs that, a space to be fully known and yeah. loved yeah. as one day we will, as, as we are fully known and loved. Yeah. So um, I think that's part of that process and learning to trust that there are people Mm-hmm. that can love me yeah. and be with me mm-hmm. even in my weakest mm-hmm. you know moments of what the things where I, when I like myself the least um, so that's good that's really really good, really good. and um, I am so appreciative of all of your <laughs> wisdom mm-hmm. and I mean mm-hmm. I think because I, I people that we're seeing and I'm, I'm working with is just we're seeing so much of that I mean we're seeing so much of this um, struggle of how do I, and, and I think sometimes too it gets confusing, like what you're talking about with your daughter, which I won't bring up anymore. <laughs> it's okay, but it's okay. They, sometimes they go hand in hand, yeah. right? Like all, that's, what's so, always, yeah. they, that's what's so confusing about right. it is we kind of want to push away one emotion and, and cling to one, and it, so it's very conflicting on how yeah. we, we manage that. And so I'm, right. I'm really appreciative of your, your wisdom on this. Yeah. Um, so what would you want to leave people with today? I mean, I know we've kind of taken a long journey <laughs> right. on worry and fear and loss and navigating that. And what I'm hearing you guys say is a lot of it is being transparent and honest with others. Like I think the community piece is so important. Yes. Um, professional help is so important. Obviously, we're at all advocates of that. Um, but anything anything you'd want to leave people with today, if yeah. they're hearing this and they're thinking, you know, I'm really struggling with some serious anxiety worry. I'm really kind of walking through and trying to navigate this loss or celebration in my life. Yeah. Um, what would you want to leave those people with today? Yeah. The, the word that is kind of ringing in my head is surrender. Yes. Um, and, and when I say, I make the distinction between surrender and resignation. Resignation is an, an I quit. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has always be this way. This always happens to me. This is just who I am. Blah, blah, blah. That's resignation. That's withdrawal, isolation. Surrender is the admission or confession, acceptance that being human is not what's wrong with me. Like being human is what's beautiful and wonderful and unique about me. Being human here and now means that I'm going to have these emotional, uh, physical realities and limitations uh, that keep me in a posture of dependence on God and others. And the more I resist that dependency, um, the more the less attached or connected I am to God and others or self. And so then the less intimacy I get to experience, which is actually where we find full living. Mm-hmm. So like when we talk about living fully, it's not about you know, material or experiential, it's, it's relational. It is the relationship with self, God and others, but I have to surrender to the fact of how badly I want it, mm-hmm. how afraid I am of losing it, like, I want you to like me. Like, <laughs> like are we friends? Are we okay? I, I, I want to be in relationship and connected with people. Um, but our pride, like the, 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 
the gross nature of pride is this denial or refusal to admit that life gets to me, um, that it's bigger than me, uh, that I that I feel like a little kid most days, and want to you know, somebody tell me it's going to be okay. Um, and so that allows me to be vulnerable and surrender to that, uh, so that then I can actually receive and I and I surrender outcomes um, hmm. that are beyond my control. Yeah. Like I can, I, I, so then I'm free to be just faithful and honest with where I am today. Hmm. And just because that's where I am today, so a lot of, again, back on the sadness piece, people are like, oh, I'm afraid if I'm sad now it's gonna overtake me and I'll never recover from it. And I'll be, it's like, no, it, that, it, you, it, that's, po- okay, let's say that's a possibility. It's also possible that it could lead to healing and wholeness. And our tagline, uh, which w- wasn't picked flippantly of courage, hope, and freedom. We want people to live with more courage the root word of core, Latin root is, is heart. Mm. So it uh, takes a lot of courage to live freely. Like it takes a lot of courage to show up and fully participate in my life as opposed to um, living reactively and managing my image and managing my perception, like to but courageously show up with what I have, what I don't have and what I care about. And hope is that inexhaustible flame in every one of us. It's, it's that eternity in our hearts that says, I know there's a place called home, but I'm not there yet, but I can't stop thinking about it and pursuing it. And I'm not gonna quit representing it, mm. even though I have no control over what happened. And I'll just say quickly to two, two large groups of people that are probably listening at the risk of being oversimplifying. <laughs> and that's the, and the first group's probably not watching this, but it would be the arrogant or the people, people who don't want to take responsibility for their lives, or, the, or in other words, they're blaming most of the rest of their problems mm-hmm. on other people. And that's the humility, is to take the risk mm. of, of humbly saying, I, I need to take responsibility for my life. Mm. And that means maybe reaching out for help and telling the truth about what's really going on inside and yeah. that life, um, life can be better and that's gonna start with me taking responsibility. The other group is um, the, um, the people who are beating themselves up. Mm-hmm. Um, the low self-esteem, the dependent people, um, the ones who can't give themselves any mercy or compassion or empathy. Mm. I would say to them, be kind mm. to yourself. Uh, show yourself some mercy, show yourself some compassion, show yourself some empathy, and, and, um, and speak about that. Hmm. Push that to the surface. Take the risk of saying, would someone please, um, in their world, a safer, safe person, would you please see me? Hmm. And whether that's professional help or mm-hmm. a pastor mm-hmm. or someone, mm-hmm. please, uh, I need someone to see me. Hmm. Um, and uh, it, this is a worldly, this, this is an, un, un, as I know this word's overused, but unprecedented time. Yeah. And they need to be, be kinder to themselves. Yeah, and I think we need to be, that's such a good like, final reminder too, yeah. is kind of, that's even circling back to the very beginning of our conversation yeah. Yeah. on just people aren't kind to themselves and they're yeah. not kind and compassionate to one another. Yeah. And it's just kind of having that, um, that compassion and that kindness. Yeah. So thank you guys. Thank you so much. much. Yeah, this is such an honor to to get to sit down with you both and and have this conversation. I know it's going to mean a lot to to a lot of people listening. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for what you do. Yeah, keep up the good work. It's our pleasure. Thank you guys. And that is a wrap for today's conversation with Tim Holler and Shad Berry. We appreciate you guys so much for joining us today. Please take a moment to like today's video and subscribe to our YouTube channel and the Green Chair podcast, along with following our very new Green Chair Conversation 
Dad's Instagram account. That way you'll always be up to date with what new episodes are released and what's happening behind the scenes. Love you guys and we are crazy excited about who's coming up next week.